Well, it being the season of year that it is, I thought I would share a public service announcement with you, a PSA. That's one that I think I have uh, used in years past a couple of times. How do you deal with a bad gift? How do you deal with a bad gift? We've all experienced something of that. Either, I hate to say it, but you've probably given one. You most certainly have probably received one. How do you deal with a bad gift? Well, here are the four steps. Four steps from uh, a little book I have, Worst Case Scenario, the Holiday Edition. Um, number one would be just be honest, but don't be exhaustively honest. Be honest. Just say, I love sweaters. That's all you need to say. Uh, just be honest. Um, thoughtfulness. Show... Show uh, appreciation for the person's thoughtfulness, not necessarily the gift, lest you get something like it again next year, but just show experience for the person's thoughtfulness. How thoughtful of you, how kind of you. Uh, the third one might be try, if you can, to discern where this came from, right? Because if you want to get rid of it, wherever did you find such a thing? You know, that, that, that kind of thing. That would be another way you could go about this. And the fourth step would be, of course, just tactfully, carefully, maybe with timing and place and context in mind, re-gift it, but not to that person, of course. So we've all, again, we've all been given bad gifts. We all know what it's like, and, and the, the further you go in life, the more likely it is that you're going to receive uh, some doozy uh, along the way. We've all received a bad gift, but the reality is we have all received bad gifts in more ways than you think I'm just think, thinking of right now. Gifts that are awkward to receive and you don't know exactly what to do with, but we have all equally so received gifts that are not just awkward to receive, but harmful to keep. Destructive to hold on to. And by that I mean the gifts that the world has given us. The gifts that the fall has bestowed, if you will, upon us all as, as human beings, as sons and daughters of, of Adam. And with that in mind, we're going to be moving this week and the Lord willing the next, next two weeks in a little mini-series here in the Advent on what I'm going to call the Great Gift Exchange. These things that we need to give up, give over, and receive what the Lord has for us in their stead. And this morning, we're going to look at the first one. The three are in this order. The gifts that we have, if you will, received. Fear. That's where we're going in the next few minutes. Fear. The second one is despair. And the third one is condemnation. Fear and despair and condemnation. But this morning, we're going to look at fear, just, just that one. And to do that, we're going to go out to the fields outside of Bethlehem and join in with the shepherds and their experience that night. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 20, as we can learn something of how we can engage in this gift exchange. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Reading on through verse 20, uh, it should be on the slides. Uh, if you're following along there in your Bibles or trying to find it, it's Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, 
John. Those are the first four books of the, the New Testament. These are the four Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life that we have. We're in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying they had been told, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, can we pray for a moment? Lord, thank you for this moment that we can pause here in this service. Uh, even as we have been singing, even as we have been reading of this very, very good news, Shocking news, hard to get our minds and hearts around, transforming news. Um, this is a season, of course, that is filled with much activity. And oh, that we would be grounded and not just filled with froth, um, but substance. And Lord, right in the midst of this season, we have had storms that have swept into this community and really rattled us um, in many, many ways. And we would long to know how to respond, not just with our hearts and minds, but with our hands and feet. And we ask that you would lead us in all of that to know how to deeply respond. And, the midst of a fearful world, much that uh, ratchets up our uncertainty and anxiety and worry and fear. We ask that you would help us. Please, would you speak even through this passage? We ask this now in your name. Amen. There is uh, much fear at Christmas. There always has been. There's much fear Christmas time. So you have the 1800s, you have Charles Dickens, his great classic, A Christmas Carol. And you think in terms of the opening stanza, that's how Dickens does it. It's the opening stanza of the book as, as Scrooge is beginning to, the plot is unfolding. He's beginning to experience the wonders of where this story is going to take him. And the oddness of Marley's face upon that Knocker and the ringing of those bells as Scrooge has gotten back inside his house and checked all the locks, by the way, which he never did. And then the bells started ringing. He hears the dragging sound down in the, the bowels of his home and the, 
the coming up of some something up the steps and then the opening of that door and there's Marley staring him in the face and it of course Scrooge is a little undone by this even if he's trying to hide his responses and, and Dickens alludes to that and then of course comes the announcement of these visitors that are coming over the course of that evening and if you can put it in um, Victorian language Scrooge is freaked out by this. Christmas has always been a time, a scary time, a fearful time. You go back to the first Christmas and just the lead up to the first Christmas. So you have Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he is afraid at the appearing of the angel and the news that he brings. Zechariah's neighbors are afraid when they hear of the arrival of Zechariah's son. You get to Mary. Mary is described in Luke's gospel as being troubled. And the angel says, do not fear. So we know what? She is afraid. You have uh, Joseph. Matthew's gospel tells us that Joseph, when the angel comes to him with the announcement, that he is afraid. You have, uh, of course, the shepherds, as we are reading just here in Luke 2, verse 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. That's the ESV. Other translations put it. They were frightened. They were terrified. The old King James, gotta love this, they were sore afraid. Man. That's like down in your bowels, afraid. Well, of course they were. Of course, at this point, you may be thinking to yourself, and it's fine if you are. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you may be thinking, well, okay, that's great. I've heard that. That's nice. I'm glad somebody's talking about, you know, Luke. But um, how is this relevant to me? You know, what these guys are experiencing, what they all experience at this time. How, why is this relevant to me this morning? Well, I think it's more relevant than we may think because we, again, all experience some levels of fear. We all experience some levels in our, in our lives, every one of us, some level of anxiety and worry, if not outright, fear. It might be at the just a low level on the warmer of the stove, just a hesitancy to move into something because of fear. Or it could be an outright paralysis. And you can't move forward because of fear. Studies, surveys have been done here recently. Anxiety disorders are the, right now, are the most common form of uh, mental disorders in our nation today. Anxiety disorders, the most common. One in 13 people are suffering in some degree from an anxiety disorder. That makes it, think with me, that makes it 800% more prevalent than cancer. Struggles with anxiety to some degree or another. To some degree or another. So is it relevant? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Now, does, here's the follow-up question. Does the Bible have anything to say about this? Yes. Absolutely Yes. Jesus knows our fears. Jesus knows our fears, all of them and through through and through. 
all of them through and through. Jesus knows our fears, and he calls us to look to him in faith. He knows our fears, and he calls us to look to him in faith. Now, if you've got an outline, that in the, in, you've got the bullet and you've got the outline, we're going to be building as we go, uh, building a case, if you will, uh, finally getting to exploring the text in the third point. I'm just kind of letting you know where we're going. The first thing to, to, to grapple with a little bit is just to recognize how common the struggle is. I'll talk some more about that. The second thing is to delve into some need, needed clarification on the topic because there's a lot of fuzzy, head, fuzzy thinking on the topic of fear, anxiety, and worry. And then thirdly, this stunning example that we see here in Luke's gospel. And unpack that a little bit in terms of its significance for us. So let's go. Here we are. First, our common struggle with fear, anxiety, worry. There are many options on the table that we could take as to how do you want to deal with this? How do you want to face these? There are paths that are very well trod. Many of us are very familiar. Some of us are experts at some of these strategies. One would be seize control. If I can just control my circumstances, I won't have anything to be afraid of. How's that working for you? If I can just control, if I can just manage things and people and events, then things will be fine. Or perhaps if I just worry enough. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you press it down and try to pick it apart. But we do that. If, if I just worry enough, if I can just be anxious at a sufficient level, well, then that will, that will keep it from happening too. Or, or perhaps we, it comes to prescribing things, prescribing medications, prescribing therapies. Perhaps this is the, the direction that we need to take. Or there's the religious super spiritual path. Let's just pray it away. Let's just pray it away, and maybe that'll be enough. And the reality is these, these various options give us, at best, partial solutions. They give us, at best, partial solutions. Um, there's good to be found in, in all of them. It's good to have disciplined thoughts. It's good to... I mentioned the prescriptions, whether it has to do with therapies or, or medications or a disciplined reading of the Bible and prayer, those things, of course, can be good and helpful. But given the complexity of the issues and the complexity of, of, of us as human persons, as wounded individuals, those things, while helpful, are, are rarely going to be sufficient. In and of themselves, any one of those is rarely ever going to be the magic bullet that's going to address our fear, our anxiety, our, our worries, which then can take us into a place of desperation. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried everything. See, then you move from desperation to cynicism, which is an awful place to be. And some of you may be feeling that this morning. Right here. You're just wishing that I would skip this, that we would move on to week two. Because your strategy is to avoid thinking about your anxiety. I want to say this with all compassion. You don't need to do that. You don't need, we don't need to take the strategy, the path, however well trod it is, of avoidance, of just wishing it would go away. Again, the Lord, he can see us. He knows us. He's speaking into this. 
And we see it here in this passage. But let me go a little further. It's not just we need to think about our common struggle here, but also some needed clarity. Maybe a definition might be helpful. So what are we talking about? When we talk about fear, we talk about worry, we talk about anxiety. What we're talking about is this. How we see. How we see, how we think about, how we perceive potential loss. That's really what we're talking about here. When we're talking about fear and anxiety and worry, we're talking about how we see, how we perceive, how we regard potential loss. That could be a potential loss of, of, of comfort, whatever kind you may be thinking of, comfort, ease, your health, your well-being, your material goods, the well-being of people that, that you love and care for, what, some, some something that you value, some, some things that you value, people that you value, that you treasure, and you, you sense, you perceive, you're anticipating loss. And therein is the fear. The problem is, is that fear, anxiety, worry sees, yes, but it sees at best halfway. It doesn't see everything. It doesn't bring God into the picture. It doesn't bring his goodness and his mercy and his kindness into the picture. All it sees is the potential for disaster without seeing perhaps the, the possibility, the potential of his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. It fear, our fears, my fears, assumes, presumes so much. Like little mini prophets and prophetesses at 2 a.m. When you, you know, that, that's what's going on there. Assuming and presuming a, a whole lot of stuff. It's how we see. Reframing. We need to do some reframing as well as we think about this. Oftentimes, especially in Christian circles, fear is immediately assumed as being sinful. That's actually not true. That's actually not true. The commands to not be afraid is not, it ought to be understood as an, as an invitation, an, an assurance. Like the mother coming along the small child at night who's had the nightmare and she's saying to him, don't be afraid. That's not a command. That's a loving act. And that's the way our Father, our God, speaks to us. Think of the shepherds out there afraid, sore afraid. They're not sinning. In many cases, fear is a natural and, and good response. Given the realities of how big and scary this world is and how small and vulnerable we are as we live in it. Fear... Fear can be understood as an indication. Fear can be understood as a sign telling us something about what we value and who, what we treasure and who, because our fears stick to those things. You want to grow in self-awareness? You want to grow in your self-knowledge and understanding of your priorities and your values? And what you treasure and hold to be dear and want to protect and hold on to, look at your fears. Dig down into the worry well. And it'll tell you something. Think with me, just, you know, if you get the phone call, you, no, rather, you get the voicemail. This is what's better. You get the voicemail from the doctor's office. Your test results are in, call us. Now you're kind of wishing they just left a message, like the whole message, like positive results. I mean, like positive in the sense of good. 
but no, you have to call. And then in the, the time delay in between, even if the results are good, you're spun up, right? Why? Because you value your health, your well-being, and it stuck to the worry. You know something. You now know something about how you feel about your health your, and, and your future and, and such. There's, again, the world is a scary place. We're small. We're so vulnerable as we live in it. There's a lot more to say about that, but I want to press on. I want to read you this quote. It's the third on, the, on your quotes and notes here from James Martin. He's a Jesuit priest. He wrote a New York Times bestseller. It came out, I can't remember, it's been within the last five years or so. Uh, great quote that he has, uh, that you have in this book. The maxim of illusory religion, now that would be false, false religion, false belief. The maxim of illusory religion is fear not, trust in God, and he will see that none of the things you fear will happen to you. Real religion has a different maxim. Fear not, the things you are afraid of are quite likely to happen to you, but they are nothing to be afraid of. Oh, that's very different. Fear not, the things you are afraid of are quite likely to happen to you, but they are nothing to be afraid of. Which finally, you're wondering, when is he going to talk about Luke? Okay, now, the stunning example of what we see of fear experience, of fear being spoken into, and lives transformed because of what was spoken and heard and embraced. So what do we see? This is a story, what we see here with the shepherds, is a story of transformation. The beginning, how do we find them? Upon the reception of, of the angels' news, they are terrified, they are scared spitless they are sore afraid they are you think in terms of emotionally that's what's going on within them physically you can just imagine what's going on their pulse is racing their breathing is labored if they could they would find a really big rock to either hide behind or crawl under because they want to escape they want to get away that's what luke is describing here they are overcome with terror with the appearance of the angel And yet, that's how it begins, how does it end? Well, it ends with these same men. This is not another group of men. This is the same men, just a few verses later, we'll say some hours later, are, they've gone from this to now being encouraged and emboldened. They've gone from cowering to courage. They've gone from shaking, trembling, to searching as heralds with news. Okay, what happened in between? <laughs> How did they get from point A to point C? B. They heard something. They, 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 they really heard something. And it had a transformative effect upon their lives. Start again. Verse 10. The angel said to them, this is the message. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. This is how you know who, who he is when you found him. Uh, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Not something you see every day. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
They'd heard this message and it had a transformative effect upon them. It changed. It, 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 it rewired their hearts. It did something to their fear. It did something powerful to their fear. This message, the, um, the message of the glory of God. He's doing something. God is doing something. The peace of God. What, he's bringing something. The grace of God. How it is that he is doing it and to whom it is that he is giving it. It's quite a message. It's quite a message. And, they, and, and, and Luke is intent on, on us as the reader understanding the, the, the response. Their responses ought to be ours as well and can be ours as well. That, that our fear would be transformed. We must then step into this, hear this in faith. Faith. Faith is oftentimes described rightly as having these three components. Knowledge, that is to say, understanding of something. Assent, agreement with that something. And trust, now relying, moving into, stepping into it. So, knowledge, assent, trust. That's exactly what you see here with the shepherds. What you don't see is the mythological cultural pers- uh, definition of an understanding of faith that we, many of us, are hearing all the time and perhaps sadly have been imbibed with, catechized with. That is to say, faith is a blind leap. That's not biblical faith at all. Biblically speaking, again, look at the shepherds. They're taking an an informed step based on what I know, which is not everything, but based on what I know, I'm going to act thing. But based on what I know, I'm going to act and do this. I'm going to Bethlehem. That's biblically speaking, that's faith. I I just feel like we have to press further on this. So Christmas holiday special faith. Pick your network. Disney or Hallmark or some other thing is what? Just believe. (sighs) Benediction. We're done. Just believe. Despite all evidence to the contrary, just believe. Just because you want it to be true. Just believe because you want it to be true. It's going to snow for Christmas. We're going to be home for the holidays. I'm going to get that thing under the tree. Just believe. That's Disney and Hallmark faith. That's not Bible. That's not God's faith. The faith that he gives to us. That he invites us into walking into. No, not at all. This is an informed step. It It is what we see here with the shepherds. The shepherds aren't doing any of this just believe stuff. It's, it's the best inference. It's the informed step. It's, it's taking an action, recognizing there's, there's no reasonable doubt here, and moving forward accordingly. And that hearing that message, that went to the root of their fear. Therein they rejoiced and went out. And the same can be true for us hearing this message. It can go to the root of our fear and rewire it all. This message, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. If that's true, 
then what might be its implications for what kept you up last night? If that's true, what might be its implications for your fear, for your worry, for your anxiety? If that's true. We don't have to take the, the approach that gives God lip service but doesn't bring him in. We don't have to take the approach that just denies that things are as bad as they are. Rather, we can look at whatever it is that's troubling us full on. But then look at him full on. Look at whatever that is, whatever it is that we fear of, of losing, whatever it is that's overwhelming us, and let the knowledge of his goodness, his grace, his faithfulness that's articulated, reflected in all of this that we've been reading, and let the wonder of that overwhelm what overwhelms us. The greatness and grandeur of our Savior, who knows our fears, and is calling us to faith, to trust and turning to him. So again, I, I said this is the first in a series, The Great Gift Exchange, where we're giving over our fear for faith. Fear, I said earlier, is something of an indication. It tells us some things of what's going on inside, right? It indicates as an indicator, something of that. It, 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 that as that, you might say, to a degree, it's the, the red flashing light on, on the dashboard. It's actually more than that, though. Ed Welch talks about this quite a lot. He's a counselor with the Christian Counseling Education Foundation. Talks a lot, written a lot of helpful stuff about fear as not just an indication, but fear as an invitation. Fear as an, as an invitation, as an opportunity to lean into Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and to lean into him. Let me paint this picture, if I may. So you get a, a card in your mailbox. It's just to you, just to you, nobody else in your house, just to you. And it's to a Christmas gathering. But this is unlike any other gathering you've ever heard. This is not some big, huge party with woo, all kinds of crazy loud noise and lots of boisterous people. This is an invitation to a dinner. With one person, the host. The host is the very one who sent the invitation, and it's Jesus. And this invitation is being directed to you. And just like with so many other Christmas gatherings, yeah, you're being asked to bring your bags with all your boxes and packages in there. But in this case, all the packages are just areas of your life. And you're bringing it all to this dinner. He meets you at the door, takes your coat. Here, let me have your bags, he says. Sheepishly, you hand them over. You sit down, you have a wonderful meal, conversation I can't imagine. And the meal, when the meal is over, 
he begins to open those bags and begins to pull out the ones you know are your worries and your fears. And he asks you a question. What would it look like to give this to me? What would it look like to leave this with me? What would it look like to look to, learn from, and lean in to me with that? Right now. What would that look like? The angels said, fear not. And it would seem we have really good reason to listen. Jesus knows our fears and is calling us, inviting us to faith, to trust in him. Can we pray? Lord, we are a people sore afraid. The shepherds, we read of them, and we would be foolish to point fingers and say, oh, how foolish they were, because we are the very same. We would have responded the same way, and in fact, we are the same. We are sore afraid, afraid of losing so much, so many things. In so many ways, we are afraid of losing tangible things, the things that we can see and touch and put our hands upon. Objects, things, people. We are afraid of losing intangible things. Reputation. Relationship. Standing. Affection health, future. Into all this, to people sore afraid, may we hear the words, fear not. Would you help us, Jesus, to hear you speaking to us, fear not. To turn from those fears and to turn to you in faith and to be freed. Be freed from these fears. We pray in your name.